0: You awaken from nightmares of flying and falling. You find yourself in a strange place, the only illumination and eerie green glow. You've lost your weapons and the contents of your backpack somewhere during the journey. All you have are the clothes and armor on your back. This leaves you with four burning questions. Where are you? How did you get here? Who brought you here? And what in blazes have video game makers done to the work of H.P. Lovecraft? Allow the cast of Cthulhu to be your guide to the world of H.P. Lovecraft adaptations from the superb to the truly cosmically horrific. I'm Jim Roner,
1: And I'm James McCormick.
0: And today we'll be talking about Sierra Online's Quest for Glory, Shadows of Darkness from 1994, and joining us to discuss the CD-ROM adventure role-playing game hybrid is Battleship Retentions' Tyler Smith. Tyler, welcome to your um, initial maiden, well, I've ruined it, your maiden voyage on Cas... Whatever, thanks for joining Cassock for the first time is what I meant to say. <sighs> <laughs> Thanks Thank for you listening for having everybody. Me. That is
2: just a <laughs> that is just a, a perfect intro for me by you. <laughs>
0: um, yes, it is. I agree. I don't have much more to say, to say no. that. Um, but yeah, this this was the this is the first time we'll be talking about a non-film property um, on the Cthulhu. If you remember all the way back to our pilot episode in October, James and I talked about the Varying forms of media and art on which uh, Lovecraft's influence can be seen and felt. Tyler was actually the one that pitched this to us. Quest for Glory, Shadows of Darkness, which was a game I had never heard of, but James was thrilled when he heard about this. I'll I'll, I'll throw it to Tyler, because Tyler was the one that pitched this idea for us. So t- talk to us a little bit about Quest for Glory. What When did you first play it? What inspired it? Because, I mean, this is a from Sierra Online, and Sierra made... A whole lot of video games that I didn't realize I played a whole lot, including <laughs> King's Quest VI, which I was obsessed with when I think when I was in middle school. Um, and <clears throat> this is similar to that, but with a, a Lovecraftian slant.
2: Yeah. So uh, let's let's all just take a moment and talk about Sierra, <laughs> um, and then we might. Uh, I, I'm perfectly fine to take a little detour into Lucas Arts, but uh, yeah. but Sierra was definitely. I enjoyed. Day of the Tentacle and Sam and Max and Full Throttle and all of that. Um, But uh, but Sierra was, and in retrospect, I might actually like those games a little bit more, but Sierra was definitely the company that I really liked. I liked their sensibilities, whether they be comedic or dramatic. I started with the Space Quest series um, so much of the humor of space quest informed my comedic sensibilities as a person um including certain theories i have which is if you have a very official sounding voice saying very ridiculous things uh it's funny um and so like in in space quest four and then six they had gary owens as the narrator who was just constantly making fun of you Uh, and i loved that Um, And then probably my favorite of the bunch was uh, the first Gabriel Knight game, which was beautifully written, wonderfully acted, a really great visual design. uh, And that probably informed some of my sensibilities uh, artistically. Uh, And then I also I played a number of King's Quest games uh, with King's Quest six being just a absolute masterpiece. I loved it so much. Mm -hmm. Uh, Once again, just a, a great visual design and really strong storytelling. And, uh, but I also played, you know, the lesser known Quest for Glory games, which are, which I would consider to be like King's Quest Little Brother. Um, <laughs> and the, it, originally it was called Hero Quest mm-hmm. um, because the whole point was you're a character who comes into town just like Guybrush Three, uh, Guybrush Three wants to be a pirate in the Monkey Island games. You want to be a hero. So you come into, Uh, In the very first game, uh, you come into a a city called Spielberg, um, and (laughs) you find out, like, well, what are the things that are plaguing this city, and what can I do to fix them? And in some cases, it's little things like, oh, this woman uh, is missing a a ring that she loves, and so you have to find that. In other cases, it's, oh, uh, the local princess is missing. So it's, like, big and small. And, but if you do all of them you've essentially created a you've you know restored peace and and calm and unity to this place and so so i played i i played the the remake the point and click remake cuz the the your initial one you know you would type in your your directions and such okay. um so then they like they did with space quest and like they did i think with um Oh, no, that was fan-made. But uh, with Space Quest 1 and with uh, Hero Quest, which became Quest for Glory, they they did a remake where they didn't have any uh, voice acting or anything like that. It was still text-based, but it was point-and-click, and the graphics were a little bit better. But anyway, so I played Quest for Glory, so you want to be a hero. And then I I did not play Trial by Fire because that was still a, a typing situation. But I played um, Quest for Glory 3. Um, which is what's it called? Uh, Wages of War, and then I played Quest for Glory: Shadows of Darkness, and that one just changed everything. the The graphics were great. It was there was voice uh, there was voice acting, and I just liked the sensibilities more. and And I wanna I have the the Wikipedia uh, page pulled up here for Quest for Glory mm-hmm. because. One thing that I really loved it was a fa- it was a not father and daughter it was a, a husband and wife's uh, team that created these games and designed them and wrote them and they had such a plan. F- they were going to make four games. Now they wound up actually having to because they needed more of a transition between two and what would be three. They created a third game called Wages of War. Put that in there. So Quest. For- so Shadows of Darkness became the fourth one, but. Before that happened, they had a four-game plan, and each game would have a different theme to it. Uh, So looking here, each one would be themed based on a direction, an element, a season, and mythology. Oh, wow. So like, for example, I won't necessarily go through all of them, but just to give you an example. So Quest for Glory, so you want to be a hero. The direction is north, the element is earth, the season is spring, and the mythology is Germanic. Oh, wow. And it's, and sure enough, if you go back and play it, you see like, oh yes, I've heard of this kind of creature and that kind of creature. And it's, and it's unique to German mythology. Well, then we get to Shadows of Darkness and the direction is East. The element is air, the season is fall and the mythology is Slavic. And I've always found in, in every capacity, I've found Russian and Slavic mythology and sensibilities. They've just really resonated with me. Hmm. And so so you're dealing with like uh, the concept of like a Rusalka and and a domovoy, and you have characters that are speaking with like these thick Russian accents. The music by Aubrey Hodges is really really captures the the essence of this small town, um, which is called Mordavia. And uh, that's actually another aspect to Sierra. I've always really liked the music uh, because the music has to give you a flavor of where you are. But it also can't be too intrusive on your thinking because you are trying to figure things out. And so, if the music is too disruptive, then you can't do that. So, and it needs to play over and over as long as you're in a specific setting. This piece of music will just continue playing. And I thought, and I loved the the music for Shadows of Darkness. It's something that uh, that composer has since gone by and re-ma- gone in and remastered it. And so uh, yeah. I bought I bought that as an album, and I listened to it often <laughs> when I'm when I'm writing something or if I'm if I'm uh, grading student papers or something like that. Uh, and so, uh, so I just, this game was definitely darker visually and thematically than the others. But what's interesting is that on top of Slavic mythology, it also incorporates, uh, what I, I didn't know this at the time, but it incorporates Lovecraftian concepts and when i played quest for glory as a as a as a kid there were aspects that really creeped me out <laughs> you know and certainly you're fighting all kinds of monsters in the previous games and here you're fighting you know sometimes it's like okay well this is a uh, this is a zombie or this is you know a uh, uh, a big uh, giant lizard type thing but then there's this whole other aspect that in which the story is you've come to this, this valley of Mordavia that has just been under a shadow, essentially. One could say a shadow of darkness. Um, <laughs> and what happened was there was a cult that wanted to resurrect a being called the Dark One, mm-hmm. uh, which was a very Cthulhu-type character, here named Avuzel, and... <laughs> they They got very close to actually uh, uh, manifesting this thing, but then the various heroes in the valley like fought it back, sent it to this other dimension and the uh the cult members like some of them turned into these very strange squid like creatures and they still walk around uh, and then you can go into their monastery and just and it talks about just being in the monastery feels oppressive and so there's just this other element of like this force that is just so evil that it physically transforms things to be near them, you know, mm-hmm. just by being near them. Uh, and and incidentally, the, the, the bit that you read there at the, at the top of the show is from the narration mm-hmm. uh, done by John Reese davies by the way, mm-hmm. um, and where it says you, you awaken in this cave. Well, you come to find out later on the cave itself is a voozal. Oh. and it, he's just lying dormant. And so, uh, in order, and, and even though all the cult members are gone, uh, there is this other character who's a vampire and wants to resurrect a voozle because it will, he, he will, his presence will spread darkness over the land. And this vampire is tired of just being confined uh, during the day. And so she doesn't know exactly what she's doing Uh, she's she's tampering with something that's bigger than her it's a really complex story but I love it like that's one of the things that I love about these games Sierra I would say especially more so I'd say than LucasArts the games were so complex uh, very well researched very well realized you know if you've played Gabriel Knight like you'll learn a lot about voodoo and new orleans (laughs) out of that game because the because jane jensen the the writer did so much research and it's just like you when you play these games you feel like you're in very good hands you feel like every plot point every character is so carefully and lovingly developed and there's just something about shadows of darkness and by the way there's also goofy puns and goofy (laughs) characters, uh, in these games. But that's really just for, especially in shadows of darkness, that's really just for comic relief. Uh, it is a, it's a game that has stayed with me. I haven't officially played it in a long time because for whatever reason, Uh, good old games uh, does not work with uh, Apple products, which is frustrating to me. Mm -hmm. And uh, but but there are like playthroughs on on YouTube. And, you know, thankfully, some of them don't have the uh, obnoxious commentary and someone just plays the game and lets you watch and listen. And uh, and I have watched the playthrough because a it sort of transports me to this earlier time in my life, but also it gives me an appreciation. It's like, man, this is a well like i remember in the in the early 2000s there was this talk about like whether video games were art and people were talking solely about console games mm-hmm. and in my mind it's like go like anybody who says they aren't go back and play these sierra games like <laughs> yep. that it is it is they're really wonderful so i've been talking for a while because i'm so ex- i'm always excited to talk about any of those <laughs> 90s adventure games mm-hmm. but this one especially the whole quest for glory series is just has just been overlooked. People remember King's Quest and Space Quest and Gabriel Knight and certainly the LucasArts games, but this is the one that people don't talk much about. And yet, just even in talking about the threats and the mythology and the mixing, there's just so much going on in them.
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll hand it off to, to James in a little bit, but I just wanted to make one comment because, uh, yeah, Wikipedia describes uh, Avuzi as a, an obvious Cthulhu pastiche, and pastiche is an interesting word because that was one of the things I loved about King's Quest 6 was that it was a pastiche of so many different mythologies and influences. Yeah. There was Greek mythology, there was Alice in Wonderland, there was all sorts of stuff. And it's funny too, because even rereading a whole lot of summaries and stuff on Wikipedia, even the, um, I believe the villain in King's Quest is named Abdul Alhazred, which is the, yeah. in Lovecraft's mythology, the, the mad mm-hmm. Arab who, quote-unquote, who wrote the, the Necronomicon. So it's, it's so interesting to see how Even before I was consciously aware of who this guy was and what his uh, contributions to pop culture were, the art that I was engaging with or the media I was engaging with was kind of feeding me those uh, little tidbits anyway. Also, one final comment, Sierra also created one of my favorite uh, games of all time called uh, The Incredible Machine, which was basically just a game in which you created elaborate Rube Goldberg devices for... Um, you know, lifting gates or that kind of thing, but you could mm. either follow the, the quest or, or the the, the main um, thing, uh, I guess the main storyline, where it gave you a certain number of items that you had to put in the, the screen in the right direction to make the machine work, or you could create your own. Um, it's it, it was quite fabulous. I spent a lot of snow days um, engrossed in that. But James, mm-hmm. as I said, you were also very excited to talk about Quest for Glory Shadows of Darkness. Why why is that? Um, primarily because it was...
1: From what I can remember, you know, the age of 14 was one of the first games I bought with my own money that wasn't a, a Nintendo or Genesis game at the time. And I remember just not knowing anything about the Quest for Glory games. I didn't know, you know, anything at all. This is like the the very, very beginning of the Internet, you know, like and I just bought it. I was like, let me go home, let me play it. And I just became so enthralled with just the humor right away, you know. John Rhys Davies, the narration alone was just like this, like comforting voice that I knew from the Indiana Jones movies. I knew from Sliders, you know. That's <laughs> I was a very big Sliders fan. I remember that. So, yeah, so I, I I love, and I love that, you know, since then, reading up more about this game and stuff, knowing that he had to record all that stuff over three weeks worth of recording, <laughs> calling it the CD-ROM from hell, because he just hated, like, how much he had to record, but, yeah. he's, but he's so good at it, and then it's all voices that, like, you know... I would either grew up listening to like people, every, everyone from like Jess Harnell to like yeah. uh, Jim Cummings, you know, Jim, is in there. yeah, Jim Cummings, yeah, Bill Farmer, you know, yeah. freaking Goofy himself, um, <laughs> Hamilton Camp, like all these different voices that you you feel like you're living in this world, and like Tyler said, it's all these like over the top Russian accents, you know, and it, it you know, and then it mixes in this weird like you know horror element of like at the time, not being familiar with Lovecraft myself, going like, what is this dark one? This is like darker than some of the games I've played before. And, you know, you, you're, you're like learning about stuff like the Rasalka and like Baba Yaga and uh, yeah. all this cool stuff. And then all these little, because at the time I didn't know it was a sequel because there is no number four. It's <laughs> like, it's just, right. you know, right. And that was like, oh, okay. They're, they're talking about stuff that's happened in the past. And one of the things that I love when I went back to play the older games and then realizing that I had the cool concept of your character in the third game, you could just put him into the fourth and actually, you know, and then you already are like hot, you know, like a higher level right away. And then you're like, you start off with like a, like a good, like standing and like, all these little different things, and I would be playing this game for hours on end and just laughing my ass off, and but also being creeped out by some of the the beautiful like background art, especially like right from that beginning, just when you basically like you said, it's you. It is a voozle. It's it's him himself slumbering, but you're basically walking around his innards, and like yeah. <laughs> all these tentacle beings are in there, and it's like I gotta get out of here as fast as possible. Then. You know, like again, it mixes all these weird things, and then like you know, like all these little things that I would get as a kid. But like you know, me, I would try to explain to people. Oh, and there's a there's a character in the game that's a roach man, but he's also Peter Lorre, and people are like, yeah. who's who's Peter Lorre?" I'm like, "Oh God!" <laughs> yeah, I'm like, "Well, there's a Boris Karloff guy in it. Like, who's?" I'm like, "Okay, I'm like, well, maybe you'll know the 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 trio of um, farmers, two of which are doing like different varying." Variations of, like, a Jack Nicholson voice. Yeah, and they're the doing Rodney Dangerfield, yeah. <laughs> but, but what's funny is doing a doing a playthrough again myself, because I actually have it through GOG, um, I was like, let me just play, you know, a few hours, and I was just so, like, into it again. But I had forgotten that the voice of the Rodney Dangerfield guy in the beginning is another Jack Nicholson voice for, like, only, like, one scene. Yeah. And then he went, uh... That that'll be too annoying. Let's put a Ronnie Dagerfield in there. And but I love what they're saying does not even match what the dialogue screen is.
2: Yeah. The, the, the actors the actors would just <laughs> improvise and do their own thing and it was delightful. Yeah.
1: Oh, it's so good. And all these weird characters, like Dr. Cranium and Yeah. Oh, like Bonehead from a previous game. It's That's like right. it's so like like you said, Tyler, it's so well thought out. It's like the characters are lovingly Developed and like you feel like they're living characters in a game like and I like from that point on I was like obsessed with point-and-click adventure games Yeah, I I, like like, you know, I got like full force into LucasArts as well You know, like Full Throttle was a game that I still quote today. Like I'm not putting my lips on that, you know (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then like I love the resurgence of point-and-click adventure games now that are just so fantastic, like, uh, Park, which is great stuff, uh, Dropsy, which is a very weird game about a clown who might be an alien who just wants to hug people, that's all he wants to do, he just wants to be loved, you know, it's, like, all these weird games, and then, like, going back and, like, catching up with so many games that either I played briefly, like, the Gabriel Knight series, but then even weirder games like Harvester, which is just like, okay, extreme violence for violence sake. And, but then like finding and reliving a game that I had played briefly back then, like Shadow of the Comet, which is a straight up Lovecraft adaptation, point and click adventure that's gotten a second life in the last few years because of this resurgence of Lovecraft and like everyone adapting, or like we, we joked about the last episode, Thrown in Cthulhu just because maybe that's a cool selling point or maybe it was intended from the very beginning yeah you know so and but but again it's like it's so it's this is like not that it's hard to talk about a game because movie it's like okay the visual but a game this is like for a lot of people a you know a long undertaking for this game I mean you could beat it Probably if you played it on the super fast like if you're running around and you know this game like the back yeah. of your hand, Probably five to six hours you can play it But I mean I played this game for weeks and I would just just love walking around
2: and clicking everything I had, to, I had to find everything, you know, that's the thing is like yes You could beat the game, but that is that is only one small part of the game like right. for me Like if I if I had run across like a a task that needed to be done and I just was having a hard time figuring it out um, My frustration came from I want to continue the story and maybe unlock a new world Mm -hmm. you know or a new a new uh, room or screen or whatever it is and then explore that because no matter what you look at or try to pick up or, you know, in the case of uh, space quest, lick, uh, whatever <laughs> it is like there, there will be a response now, granted, sometimes they repeat them, but for the most part, they really try to put you there. It really is like you're, you're stepping into uh, a movie. Uh You're stepping into this other world because you can explore it. And, uh, and it's one of the things that, you know, one thing that I preferred uh, with Sierra versus um, LucasArts is that you get to stuff like Quest for uh, Quest for Glory and stuff like Gabriel Knight. And man, those dialogue trees—some people don't like them. I love them. Oh, I, I love, love just 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 like delving into like how how long can I talk with this person what can I learn about them as a character them as a world and and sometimes like the next plot point is hidden deep in a dialogue tree mm-hmm. and I just and I just love that it really is like and even though in in Quest for Glory like uh you're often in the midst of danger uh I often found like the small town, like the 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 town of Mordavia, like I would find it actually quite relaxing to think about. Um and then throughout the series there is a character who uh, who has come before you and is long dead named Arana, um, who's like this this elf type mage, and in every game in the midst of the woods she has set up like this weird little sanctuary where if something is chasing you and it's chasing you from one screen to the next if you go there it will stop chasing you and you can and you can lay there without like like, you can choose to take a one-hour nap or you can choose to sleep through the night. But if you decide to sleep through the night in the middle of the woods, you're dead. Something has come <laughs> along and killed you while you slept. But you can sleep in, like, Arana's garden or whatever and you'll be fine. In fact, you'll feel wonderful the next day. And so the idea of having that, you know, throughout and uh, and online, you know, uh, I have found people who would have footage of like one of these uh, Irana gardens and the music play. And it's like an hour long. Like it's, it's a place that you can go on the Internet <laughs> to relax and, and calm down. And it just speaks to how enveloping these games were. And I feel like, and all of them were great. Don't get me wrong. Like the first one is, again, I never played the second one, but the first one was a lot of fun. The the third one was a lot of fun. Um, But then you get into the fifth one. And just like with the Gabriel Knight series, the animation style changes. They're trying to do something a little bit more of the moment. And You know anytime you try to do something of the moment it's a guarantee that the graphics are going to be dated immediately (laughs) whereas here yeah they're a little bit blocky but it still is of a piece and i just wish that the fifth one because it was a good story uh i wish that the fifth one uh, had looked like the other ones but i i I imagine there was a lot of pressure uh on um on the designers to be more current um but yeah it's I, i totally know what you mean like I would just click on everything, and sometimes clicking on something, it's like, oh, it turns out I can pick that up. But in other, even if that's not the case, it's just, there are little hidden gems of humor or insight uh, in every room, and I just, uh, oh, it's
0: the best. <laughs> I, I resonate a lot with what you say. Um, I, rem- I remember a friend of mine in college while he was playing Super Mario Bros. 3 said something along the lines of, I don't know if this was his original thought or he stole it, but there are two kinds of people in this world. The kind of people who try to rush through to the end of the level, or the kind of people who try to collect every single coin in the level before they complete it, and mm-hmm. I've always been the one that tried to collect every single coin. Um, so I, I,
2: it always bothered me in Super Mario Brothers that like they had a time limit. I'm like, no, just <laughs> let me have fun. Let me explore the space. Yep. Yeah. which which was also why I mean. One of
0: the things I've been currently playing is the Final Fantasy VII remake, so I've been taking my time exploring every inch of that world. Um, And even related to Lovecraft, I remember falling in love with the game Fallout 3, um, because I believe it's in that one where there is a side quest. It's either Fallout 3 or Fallout 4, maybe, where there is like a side quest called the Dunwich Horror, basically, where Mm -hmm. um, you stumble upon a building where there have been bizarre, otherworldly, cult-like activities taking place in the basement of a facility. So it just goes to show once again how influential this guy's work has been so tyler i have a question for you because james and i talk a lot on this podcast about if something is or is not lovecraftian and we've joked about a lot of movies or, or filmmakers kind of have the tendency of like oh let's throw a tentacle in there and then it'll be lovecraftian sure yeah. um so for you as someone who is you know maybe not as in deep uh of this pardon the pun in deep of. Uh, with this stuff as James and I are when you hear of Lovecraft or when you think of it what does it kind of stir in you or what kind of thoughts does it elicit from you
2: uh, I immediately think of just the concept of darkness and just the idea of oppressive active darkness it's not a passive darkness <laughs> it's the kind that wants to that that has a will and is going to impose that will on you and if it can it will absorb you Mm -hmm. And it will, you know, and I think about it like in this in this regard, like the monks uh, in Shadows of Darkness, you know, they're worshipping a and the fact of worshipping him just transforms them physically. Like uh, towards the end of the game, you go back into the cave and there's just this big there's this big monster that is completely, it's completely—it's—it's not humanoid at all. Mm. And then you come to realize after you kill it that it was the high priest. Like it went into the cave and it changed completely. It mm-hmm. changed into a monster. It is no longer human. It can't talk. It does, like it's, it, a has had his way with this thing. <laughs> and so when I think of, I think of just a tone, uh, a dark tone, A will to that tone and then a physical manifestation of that darkness uh, in the in the form of like a creature, uh, whether it be a big, powerful creature like Cthulhu or a small, pathetic creature. But no matter no matter what it is, like it is looking to spread its evil. And darkness, you know. Yeah. And so that's when I think of lovecraftian that's usually what I what I think of.
0: I, and I love your the the description too, or, or even just the idea of the, the transformation specifically something which is not human like that we can't even relate to. Because I mean, just listener, if you haven't done this, open up a tab on your web browser, do a Google image search for azathoth uh, sorry, Asathoth or Yog Sothoth, which are two of the deities in Lovecraft, and they look fucking weird like they are not things that exist in nature other than maybe a vague passing resemblance to things you'll find deep in the bottom of the sea which terrifies yeah. me to begin with um yeah and so I, I what what is it about and this is for both of you i'm going to be asking many questions listeners because i've never played this game before so i'm going to let these two steer the conversation where all of us are film fans tv fans so that but what is it about a video game that that makes it a different experience or, or even a more immersive experience, even just aside from like the gameplay or like the length? Cause you talked about if you, if you spend a lot of time or if you, if you breeze through it, you can beat this in maybe five to six hours. But what is it about than a video game, which brings something different than a movie or a TV show specifically when it comes to like a horror experience?
2: I think the the immersiveness of it and the idea that yes you can explore the space but what if you're in a space you don't want to be in then like then there's an urgency to you exploring it because the more you explore the the more likely it is you'll find a way out but the more you explore the more horrifying things you find (laughs) that gives you a deeper understanding of just where you are and you know whereas with a film you know uh th- i mean think of a horror movie there's so many people that there there's so many fans who say like oh what would i do in this situation well in a in a game like shadows of darkness you are in that situation and granted there <laughs> you don't have complete agency you can't do anything you want you can't walk into this building or that building but you you can decide I'm going to hold off on this quest. You know what? I'm just going to go talk to people for a while. Um, So there's really not, you have agency. It's not, it's as propulsive as you want it to be. um, But ideally if the game is doing its job well, then you are going to want to progress, but it is in your hands. And to me, there's always been something very frightening about you know it's easy to sit to sit on the outside watch a horror movie and say well I would do so I would do it so differently uh but then you get put in but then you get put in that situation you realize like I don't know what to do or at least I'm trying everything <laughs> I can think of and it's not working and I don't know how to get out of this situation uh I might actually just have to stand and fight and that is not a, a fun idea for me so I think it's I think it's being immersed not just in the world, but really being forced to be a character in a world that you would choose not to be in uh, if if it were just totally up to you, even though you are choosing to be in it because you're playing the game. but that would be that's offhand that's my answer
0: yeah no
1: I mean that that's that's kind of perfect. like you're you're in the world you you know as opposed to a movie where you're like you know how many times, yeah, like you said. You're just screaming at the screen, like, "How stupid are you? Like, what the hell are you doing? Like, don't go in that door." But in a game, you have to go through that door in order to proceed. You have to go to the scariest castle because you're not going to get past the game that way. You have to talk to the weird, creepy characters, some some of which, like the babiaga, wants to eat you. You know, like simple enough. She wants to eat yeah. you, but you have to convince her not to kill you, and you'll make her a pie. So she won't eat you she'll eat the pie instead like it's like problem solving but also the humor but also you know just just you know venturing out as this a hero which most of us you know we can't be like a quote-unquote hero with a sword you know running around killing people would be Psychos or we'd be like uh, uh, with Mazes and Monsters with Tom Hanks, you know, you you're, it's not a good look, you know, you start killing people You're you're in trouble, but in, in, a, in a game like this, especially it's just You know, especially if you're a fantasy fan if you're You know a horror fan. It's all these like worlds kind of like beautifully put together because you know it, when you look back at it, you know me playing it now being a big like Lovecraft fan Going, oh my god, you somehow they mix that with Slavic, you know, folklore, but also straight up just with vampires and werewolves and even the freaking killer rabbit from Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Yeah. You know, you know, you know, and I remember that being the first like monster you have to kill and laughing my ass off, going and, and there's so many jokes about Monty Python throughout these games. And that was like a big thing, like, for me too, at that time. Like Monty Python was big for me in my early teens. This 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 of, to me at the time, you know, otherworldly comedy because it was like, oh, it's it's from the UK. That's weird. You know, like I remember that being such a weird concept back then, like like, oh you're why are you watching something from, from England? It's like, um, because it's funny? How do you understand what they're saying? It's like, what the hell? Like <laughs> <laughs> But you know, it was something you know, I was like so like so involved. Like, you know, a friend of mine had Um, and at this time, this is the time period, like my friend had a laser disc player. So, you know, you knew he had actually had money. So, (laughs) and he had, and it was the first time I listened to a commentary track, which Mm. was, it was through Monty Python and the Holy Grail, them just making fun of it. And it's just, (laughs) it was such a weird concept. But then on top of that, you know, having a friend that was really into that and had money, he also like wanted to play Advanced Dungeons and Dragons with all all of us, so we would go to his house, play for hours. So this was stuff that I was just interested in. So this game somehow put all these things I loved in one package. And playing it again now is just—it's just just, I'm laughing even harder now because there's so many jokes that flew over my head at the age of fourteen. Oh yeah, you know, and it's like, oh my god, this is so clever. And then going like, yeah, this is why I was so. Like, in love with these types of games, like especially Sierra's games. They just, the storytelling and the character development was like on a different level. LucasArts, I love too, you know, stuff like Maniac Mansion, Day of the Tentacle, Grim Fandango, which I think is a mm-hmm. masterpiece. But like, I don't know, it was something about, I wouldn't say call it quaint, but like, you know, the art style, like, you know, like the blocky characters. It's just yeah. something about it. It just, you know, I, I'll play a game like this now more than I'll play some, I have like new games, like the new Spider-Man and I'm like, Oh, this is great. But I get, I don't know. After a while, I'm just like, okay, I'm kind of tired. Even though it's the same concept, you're going around talking to people, (laughs) you're helping people. You're, you're like most games you're always a go between characters. Like, okay. Um, the, the shop owner basically tells you that her husband's dead. Yeah, but he's not. He's he's at the castle gate. He's guarding the castle
2: gate. <laughs> and then you go back and forth between yeah. them, delivering messages. <laughs> and that this is what I'm talking about. Like from yeah. the, the the quest for glory <laughs> aspect is, you know, on one hand, you need to uh, you know rid the valley of vampires. Okay, that's a big one.
1: Yes.
2: But then you also, and I don't remember if you even really get points in the game for reconciling this marriage. You might, but <laughs> I th- it's it's more just like yeah. it's it's just part of it. By the end, the everything in the valley is better, literally everything. Yeah. And incidentally, to speak to some of the darkness of this game. There's an old man in Mordavia <laughs> <Yeah>. na- <laughs> <No, it's laughs> named name Nikolai, and he he wanders around looking for his wife who is obviously dead. And he just can't deal with it, and so you talk to him, and then at one point you go walking in the in the woods, and you see the ghost of his dead wife, and so you talk with her, and then you go, tr- and you try to tell him that his wife is dead, but instead he goes, oh, she's in the forest, oh, okay, so then he goes off into the forest, and the next time you see him, he and his wife are together as ghosts, he has been killed, <laughs> And, but they're together now and And now they have, and they've found peace and it's, it's like, that's like, that's really, that is in its own way, extremely dark, you know, because the best thing that you can do as a hero, though, that's not what you realize you're doing in the moment. The best thing you can do is have this this poor lonely old man go and get killed in the woods. Um, <laughs> you know, and so, uh, and then, then like you meet the Rusalka whose whole, whose whole goal is she just stays in the lake and then she's naked and, and, uh, beautiful and she lures men in and then drowns them. She can't help it. It's what she's supposed to do. And only when you like, You have to, like, essentially romance her, and then she turns into this gross, disgusting, rotting corpse, and you have to go and kiss her despite being gross, and then she just disappears. Like, she ceases to exist. And in her own mind, like, she's scared to be dead, but she's like, but it's probably – I guess it's better than drowning people because I don't want to be doing that. So, like, in – like, that speaks to, like, the complexity of this game, like – the best way, the best thing you can do for the Rasulka is help her to not exist anymore. The best thing you can do for this old man is help him to die and be reunited with his, with his wife. And like that, you know, that is, there's a bittersweet melancholy aspect to that that you wouldn't think would be in a game for not necessarily children, but for a younger crowd that like it forces you to make these choices that... It's like, oh, there's really no good option here. And I I think that's brilliant and I love it so much. It's funny how as someone
0: or as people who are so into film uh, to kind of hear that when there are others who kind of get into it for the first time, whether it's whether they're they're kids or, or what have you there's this idea of like, oh, I, I never really realized there was a screenwriter. I just always assumed that the director just kind of yelled action and the and the mm-hmm. actors just kind of did their thing. And it, it's funny to me to think of, to hear how complex this game is and how nuanced it is and just... When, when I was younger, as many video games as I played, just not thinking that there was a writer, just kind of like, oh, I, I just assumed a bunch of people designed these images and just kind of they did their own thing and you don't kind of realize that the the creative force behind it i mean the, the husband-wife team that was behind this and i mean one of the most uh popular game writers designers is hideo kojima who's behind you know the the silent hill franchise and a whole bunch of other things and it's just that idea of yeah there's there's writers and there's ingenuity and there's deliberate thought and effort put behind these things as well which is just kind of obvious now but as a kid that never occurred to me
1: i mean i was a nerd so i watched the credits but even then <laughs> it, you know it'd be names i didn't recognize it would be like oh okay and then sometimes you play another game in the same like company and you'd be like oh crap i remember that name i remember that developer that's cool okay and then you know the older i got it was like certain developers i'd have to see every game they did you know like um what was his name? Uh, Tim Schafer, right? It's Tim Schaefer. Sure. It, yeah, yeah. It's
2: Full Throttle. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Full, yeah. So it's like when I see his name on, so I'm like, okay, I, I gotta play it. like, you know, and even games like Brutal Legend, you know, Jack Black as a metal god, did like just <laughs> ridi- you know, ridiculousness. But it's like it's that art style. It's when you watch a film and you watch a series of like, you know, you know a c- certain directors, you go, okay, that's that's definitely an Argento film. That's definitely a Tarantino film. That's definitely because it's little nods. And, like, that's the same thing with any – to me, any great game, like, you'll see little nods or, like, the Sierra games, too. They just – there's so many throwbacks and so many Easter eggs and so many puns, like you said earlier. Just And you just rediscover it, and, and every time you play, like, you know, I, I would listen to the dialogue boxes over and over again because I just want to laugh, you know, like, like especially – Again, those those farmers that would just talk and like yeah. just say and then and then you'd be like, but then you'd, sometimes it'd be like you said, there's a little clue, there's a little something or a little, like really dark thing, like even with the rasalka playing it again, I I forgot that basically, she's killed by her husband to be because she wouldn't have sex with him. Yeah, and that's in the and I remember going that flew over my head at the age of fourteen, but I'm like, holy shit, like. And she can't even remember his name because of how long she's been this Rasalka. Yeah. And then, but I love like somehow this game has such darkness, but then the melancholy, but also when it throws humor in, it's like this relief of even the Rasalka herself who, when she finds out, oh yes. And you know what, he had bad breath too. And yeah. it's like, like it, it, and it makes you for a second forget like the awfulness that happened to this woman and you being the hero. Kissing her and her just yeah like like disintegrating in front of you or like the um, the daughter of the um the the inn owners and yeah. she's become a vampire and she it's so sad it's like the the little girl voice that you you know you're familiar with and she's just so sad that she can't see her mom and daddy but she's happy with her big werewolf monster guy Toby who takes care of her who yeah. truly loves her and when you finally realize how you can change her back there has to be a sacrifice and toby sacrifices himself for this girl to become human again. yeah hmm. like because he, he loves her so much and like playing again i just got a little tear in my eye going like oh my god like this is so deep like you know like so that's why i hate when people you know look at video games and go oh that's not art that's not this it's like what yeah. games have you been playing like for one like and two there's so many levels that you have to get, you know, like, you know, just the programming itself is just beyond me. You know, like that, that's something I'll never truly get because I, you know, I'm, I'm too left feet too you know, like I can't <laughs> do it. I, you know, it's like, Oh, I could never do that. But like the writing part I can get, but still it's like, to, you know, you got to think as a writer for a game, you have to write dialogue differently than a movie because you have to write it yeah. different variations of everything they're going to say. And then, we said earlier, a lot like uh, throughout this game. Besides the three farmers, there's other things that are kind of improv or a little bit different, and it just shows that it, you know it's it's it was always continuously changing, even after the game itself was finished, but the recording had to be done. And he yeah. said, eh, fuck it, that's actually funnier, you know." And like ultimately, yeah. it is. It, it makes it funnier, and like the humor helps when you do get to the really dark stuff, and it kind of shocks you more. It kind of like you know that you know basically the you know this character you know this villain from I I, I think he was from the second one right? uh, yeah out, you know, out of East and yeah he's now a vampire and like oh god he's back like you gotta fight this guy again but he's technically the lapdog of Katrina who throughout the game you've befriended and she's helped you but yeah nefarious means she wants to bring back a voozle. but she ultimately sacrifices herself for you because she actually does care about you. And like you know for a game, you know, 14-year-old playing this it's like, wow, okay, this is this is actually more than just what I thought of as a video game at the time. And then that's why I would venture out and try to find more games like this, you know, as opposed to just the norm, you know, on games that are like, you know, on you know, especially back then on consoles, you know, for every great, you know, Legend of Zelda, you had like really bad LGN games that were adaptations of movies. You know, like yeah. you know, like I'm playing like Rambo and then like <laughs> on Nintendo and it's terrible. It's a terrible yeah. game, but, well, yeah. but you know, and it's like that's why I always get so angry when people look down, you know, upon especially all the research and all this other stuff on top of everything else. It's like I, I really think it's sometimes people either have short attention spans and it can't play games especially like this, they unless it's just run and gun or just driving through and that's it. Yeah. You know, this is like you have to take your time. You have to look around. But you could play it fast too if you really want to. They there's options for that in the game. But I could never play like that. You know, I had friends that would like almost do it like, oh look how fast I can go around in this game. I'm like, but why? Like don't you wanna like cherish this for a little bit longer until you And then, like, I'd be the weirdo that would play it again to see if I could do better or find stuff (laughs) that I forgot about,
2: you know? And sometimes, I mean, I certainly know, like, in King's Quest VI, there comes a moment where you can either go this way, which will will be faster, but you won't get as many, you won't get all your points, Mm -hmm. or this way, which takes you in, which takes longer, and it's more involved... But you you get all your points, not the points really matter, but like which way do you want to go? Go this way. And it's like, OK, you dress as a servant girl and you get into the castle, go this way and you wind up in the land of the dead. You know, like it's just so the the and the either way you could like you could play one and be totally unaware of the other. And I feel like that's so interesting. And then then an aspect of the Quest for Glory games that we haven't talked about is the fact that you can choose what kind of character you're going to be. Mm, He could be a fighter, a uh, wizard or sorcerer, a magic user, I guess, or a thief. And it seems so strange that a thief could be a hero. It seems to me that it's like, I'm I'm gonna be a hero, but I don't wanna stop being a thief. Uh, (laughs) But what's interesting is if you choose to be a thief, that actually opens up rooms that you would not get if you were any of the other uh, the other two. There's a thieves guild that you can go into, and you break into people's homes and you get to and you have to skulk around while they're sleeping and take their stuff. Right, you right. know. And it's I mean it's, it, which already is just like, like as a kid I like to play as the thief, but then I was like this feels wrong. Why am I doing this? You know it's like i'm glad that i'm gonna reunite this guy with his with his uh, dead wife but uh you know what i think i'm gonna t- steal this music box from him as well
1: <laughs> it's not right. like he's gonna use it no but, to uh, steal all his gold in his random chests that he has throughout his house it's like it's, as a thief you have to think well why does he have it
2: out there it's okay then you know <laughs> ex- exactly yes he's asking for it
0: <laughs> when, I, when i first played fallout 3 i played it uh A lot of times with my roommate who was sitting and watching, because he had played it before, and he was giving me instructions on how to, like, acclimate to the world and and tips and tricks and that kind of thing. And one of the things he told me is, like, you can pick up and store in your inventory anything and everything. Don't do that. (laughs) Like, there's no no need for you to take an ashtray or a baseball or a pack of cigarettes or a dinner plate. They don't help you at all. You can do it, but don't. It's like, yeah, but... If I I feel like if I can do it I should do it right because it's like this is the world and I and I'm going to collect all the coins that's the kind of person I'm going to be.
2: Well, I, I learned my lesson from Space Quest Four, where uh, there is a scene where uh, you're in a a bombed out post apocalyptic. Uh, City and there's a tank that has long since been abandoned and you look inside it and there's it's described by the narrator as a Piece of unstable ordinance and you (laughs) and you pick it up and the narrator even says like I wouldn't do that Uh, So you carry it and you just walk around and it's fine You feel like oh, maybe I can use this as a bomb against these robots that are following me or whatever Uh, and then at some point you actually need to go into the sewer and so you go into the sewer and then rather than show you inside the sewer, it just stays outside and then you just see an explosion <laughs> and you're dead. And, and, uh, and then the narrative says, like, uh, it's like, uh, we warned you about walking around with unstable ordinance. But what, here's, what's funny when you pick up the unstable ordinance, you get points yeah. and then you put it back and you get points. Literally the only point of it is to learn that you shouldn't <laughs> carry around everything like it's such a weird choice but i love it and it, you know what it teaches you an, a valuable lesson about life which is just because you can doesn't mean you should <laughs> the, especially the, if the narrator is warning you
0: right, yes the, the the ian malcolm approach to video games we were we were so concerned if we if we could we didn't stop exactly to think we should um, exactly yeah and, and this this blend of comedy and drama and specifically the direct the, the direct address to you as the player doesn't seem to be something that happens a lot and I'm wondering would either of you want to see this game remastered or remade or is there something about the charm of it kind of being of its time which makes it so memorable I mean it's
2: I would be happy Well, I would like if it were remade because then I could play it. (laughs) Yes. But also, like, I played the Gabriel Knight remake, and, you know, in some cases the graphics, especially in regards to the backgrounds, are better and more detailed, and they look quite nice, and it really sets the mood um but the and the music was remastered but in some cases it actually was a little bit intrusive the the composer like decided to be a little bit more fancy and then the voice uh, the voice work was not nearly as good as the original and so uh so that's you know that's the risk that you run is yes i'll get to play this again and yes it will probably look better but there is the possibility that as they're reinterpreting it like well, there's no way they're getting John Reese davies to come back and do that narration. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, if they had the original uh, voice tracks or something like that and could do that, uh, then that would be fun. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would certainly enjoy it. I'm not necessarily someone who thinks that uh, the original is like, oh, hands off. But I do feel like there's a way to do it wrong. Uh, very wrong. I've I, I've played the like the the remaster, maybe that's it. Like just doing a remaster would be good. Like I played the remaster of day of the tentacle and everything's a little bit smoother. The music is a little bit, is a little bit clearer. And that's kind of nice because the game itself really has not changed at all. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I, frankly, I would, I would like to just play the game again so that I can go back into this world, you know, and explore. Mm -hmm. And a good playthrough like on YouTube, a good playthrough will do everything that you want to do. Like uh I saw a playthrough of King's Quest Six and the person was clearly clicking on everything you could click on so that you could hear every message. <laughs> and in the comments people are like, Why is he doing this? Like, why doesn't he just move on? And it's like, Because you're not because you're an idiot. That's why <laughs> because you don't get what this is about. You know? So yeah, I, I wouldn't be opposed to a a remake or at least a uh I don't know, an updating or something like that.
0: Meanwhile, James is over there playing the original on his PC. You jerk. Yeah, yeah, my shitty PC.
1: Well, it's just funny, too, because there's so many games that I could never play before because literally I had, like, a really <laughs> shitty PC that I could actually <laughs> play. Now, like the Gabriel Knight games, I could not play those early because, yeah. you know, back back in the day when we got, like, killed with uh, Dell computers and old stuff, you know, like, terrible, like... Growing up through that, no kids today will never understand the pain of not being able to play games. When you you'd buy a game, you'd come home with it, you go, oh, Okay. Oh, okay, your your video card's not good enough. You go, Oh, oh god damn it. You know, it's like, I mean, god, uh, like that would infuriate like, me. Nothing, yeah, it, so much. But like I, yeah, I agree too, like, you know, a, a slight remastering, like if the game's not broke, don't fix it. But what's funny about this game is it was originally it came out and it was broken which blew my oh, mind. Oh yeah. Yeah. You it know like very, the, it was very buggy. Very buggy which it's funny cuz they like reading about it more and, and laughing that that's most games today on the consoles. Ah, eh, just put it out. We'll we'll do patches later. Yeah, yeah. Which is such a crazy concept but like even back in 1993, 94, Sierra kind of got forced to do that with this game cuz they needed to get it out on shelves before the holidays. Mm. And it's sad that like a company that's like, you know, prided itself with artistic, you know, games, but, but, you know, and then they took pride in their stuff, were forced kind of into that. And like, you could tell, like from a lot of interviews, they regretted that like horribly. They're like, we wanted to wait another six months, but we kind of had to get it out there because of the contracts we did. And it just shows like, sometimes just wait a little bit longer, you know? And like, and then when it came out on CD-ROM, it, it was a better game. And then I think yeah. the one on GOG, I think, whatever other little bugs that were around which i mean i don't remember any bugs back then but they took those away too so like they cleaned it up more but they they really should be able to have backwards compatibility with you know with mac and and you know like yeah. like it, it's not hard like that to me is one of the most trivial things now like like back then it was like well no it's all, it's this or that nowadays especially with these games that are you know 20 30 years old I think it's it's a much easier fix. I just think I think a lot of companies are just lazy. I mean, I'm not sure who's still because Sierra's been gone since 2008, sadly. So I don't know who's doing the licensing and right and mm-hmm. whatnot. It's just someone should just step in there. A, a Mac user that's a big fan just go, hey, you know what? Come on, let's do it. Let's let's do that now because these games deserve to be like loved and played still and like playing it again it was just like i was like god like where's the care like and i'm not knocking new games but i just can't get into new games unless it's like almost like these throwback games that like are look like the games i played back then like i don't know what it is with me now like it just the big fancy special effects and stuff i I, i could do without that give me a story give me great dialogue and Give me some jumps and like little and, you know, give me good puzzles, you know, give me like weird puzzles with bells to get into Dr. Cranium's office. And it's always different every single time. And I love that, you know, stuff like that. That's like such good coding in a game like that. And I don't know. I don't know what it is with like the big tentpole games. It's like nowadays I just feel like everyone just wants graphics like, oh, it has to look as real as possible. I'm like, does it? Yeah. Does it really? Like, I don't know.
2: Yeah, and I I'm not as plugged into the the modern gaming scene as as some people, but um, but yeah, the, when I tell people about what you know the I mean these were called adventure games, um, and when I tell people like my my gamer friends like oh well this is what I played back then, and they'd be like oh so is it kind of like missed and it's like, well, kind of, yeah, is, yeah. sort of, missed, yeah. but it was more like, it's like, but it, it wasn't POV. Like you saw yourself on the screen, but it also wasn't like uh, a, a modern, like a uh, fighting game where you take up a, a, a part of the screen and it's sort of like, it's still from your perspective, but you're, you're on the screen. It's not that either. Like you are standing outside of everything and you're controlling this character. Uh, And then when I say puzzles then like they don't get that either they they think like that bell thing at least is like that actually is a Puzzle, it's like no the puzzle could be you're going to need to gather these various things in order to make this pie So Baba Yaga doesn't eat you, (laughs) you know, like yes, and and it's gonna take a while to gather all of these things Uh, and you know just because just because this puzzle has been presented to you at this particular moment, uh, doesn't mean that it's the only thing you should be working on. You might not get all of the things you need uh, for, you know, several uh, until like several steps down the down the line after you've solved this or that or whatever. And yeah, it's it really did seem to be, it really did seem to be like a moment in time. That that could not work for console. I think that's the I think maybe that's the situation is console has just started to, to dominate mm-hmm. In such a way that these games didn't never really translated to to console and so um, I mean certainly there are still people to play uh, games on Steam and all that sort of thing, sure. but uh, but yeah when you look at what you uh, xbox and or you know microsoft and sony like when you see what they make every year it's like okay yeah computer computer games like desktop games are not where it's at uh <laughs> that is not the investment and so uh and i think that's one of the things that makes me value these games so much not merely as far as the the role they played in my life and my own artistic development but also they were just it's almost in its in its own way it's almost like silent film mm-hmm. you know there was a time when they existed, and then the the industry moved beyond that. There's one or two, and sometimes there's a throwback, but for the most part, it's it's over. Which makes which which, you know. It, frankly, the thing is with film, there's there's such an emphasis on uh, archiving and preservation, and there really isn't with games because they're digital, and because it's not a situ- it's not a situation of physical deterioration. It's about technological advancement. To, to the point where they become completely obsolete. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's what preservation looks like is that backward compatibility so that people can go back the way we can go back and watch a silent film now on Blu-ray or streaming. I feel like we we should, I say we, the three of us can't do anything like <laughs> this, but I feel like uh, game, you know, game fans who actually have the know-how, I feel like they should go back and make it possible for new, uh, you know, Younger players or new players to find these games and appreciate them the way we go back and watch uh, a Chaplin film or Murnau or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. But I know that's easier said than done, and I also know that there aren't that many. You know, there weren't people clamoring for *Quest for Glory* at the time, right? Uh, and it's 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 a forgotten title uh, in the in the Sierra canon, but it's still there, and uh, and I I hope someday that there will be some kind of some opportunity to play it again, because I very much look forward to it. Yeah.
0: I am not a, a gamer by any stretch of the imagination. I do play video games, but uh, the, one, the one thing I will give to modern-day gaming, especially when it comes to specifically an immersive horror experience, is the small amount of times I've interacted with the PlayStation VR, there is an Exorcist game for the PlayStation VR, which is basically... Mm. I believe it's more pulled from the TV show than the movie, but it's basically a you play as a detective investigating cases and there is a supernatural element. But uh mm-hmm. when it comes to the immersive nature, imagine so that church where they find the uh the desiccator, desecrated um Virgin Mary statue basically. Mm-hmm. Imagine being there at night investigating that scene and there are dark and there are dark hallways you have to actually physically walk down and you're like i don't want (laughs) to walk down that hallway but there's a noise down there that i should probably investigate it is uh it's it's something else um but any um any any, with an eye on wrapping up any final thoughts on quest for glory shadow of darkness from either of you
2: well, I do feel like we we didn't talk much about uh, the the Lovecraft aspect of it. We just sort of touched upon it, yeah. uh, and it and it's a huge part of the of the gameplay. It's a big part, not the gameplay. It's a big part of the story mm-hmm. and the visuals and that sort of thing. And I think it speaks to. I think it speaks to the nature of Lovecraft and the type of stories he told that it can be brought into something that would seem uncom you know incompatible Mm -hmm. like slavic mythology but it can be brought in and what's neat about it is because you're dealing with this force that is otherworldly um that it will all like as long as you (laughs) as long as you Underline the intrusiveness of it. You know, because like in Mordavi, it's like, yeah, we got vampires, we got werewolves, we got Rasulka, we've got all that kind of thing. But then there's this other thing,
0: this (laughs) other thing
2: that's bigger than all of them. And, and like these things individually are should be worried about and dealt with. But this thing shows up and it, and suddenly the swamp floods out the road so people can't, uh, can't come or go. You know, it's, it, it isolates and it oppresses and it is not, it it is a a different kind of darkness than we're used to. So I feel like the nature of it being it's showing up anywhere, um, means that you could incorporate it into any kind of movie. It could be science fiction. It could be fantasy. It could be drama. It could obviously be horror and, and it could, it could be as, as, uh, Varied in tone, is something like Event Horizon, to the Mist, um, to a, a a fantasy video game with no technology at all outside of Doctor Cranium's place, um, <laughs> and so I think the the malleability of Lovecraftian elements is something that has allowed it to persist you know because yes it speaks to us on on a deeper psychological and sometimes spiritual level but it also the the imagery and the nature of it allows you to keep revisiting it and keep reimagining it in a way that will that will resonate with a new audience
0: yeah wikipedia describes the ending of uh, shadows shadows of darkness as a a somewhat pyrrhic victory um, mm-hmm. which is a, an interesting correlation not correlation but an interesting equivalent in in lovecraft stories because when there is a thing that appears and it is defeated there always is the implication like this was just for now this is not going to last
1: yeah right like the hero yeah he wins but does he really win like he's he feels almost as defeated as the the villain he just destroyed because he went through A crazy adventure his body is and his mind is just wiped out and that's kind of a very Lovecraftian thing where you might be able to fight off the you know whatever old one it is but you're changed forever and that's kind of like our hero is now changed this has been a dark adventure for him
2: and I think it's at the end um, you know you have Katrina who is this vampire villain but she does clearly care for you and she eventually sacrifices herself for you and then Arana uh, whose like essence was trapped within uh, a voozle or whatever um, she shows up and then she disappears and so like these, these not to mention the various characters that have sacrificed themselves over the course of the game and by the end it's like yes you have brought uh victory and and happiness back into mordavia but you also have lost a lot uh yeah. like and and so when you go into the next when you go into the next game you don't even have the idea of arana anymore you don't really have anything you're just by yourself right. and uh and i think that's actually something that i've always liked about all of these games is there is a certain uh temporary nature to things like over the course of each game you make friends with characters they help you but then because you're a hero and you have to move on to the next place that needs a hero um then like anybody that's in your life is only there temporarily um like i remember when i was a kid and i played this like it's like oh uh, you know i've brought i've brought peace and happiness to mordavia and now it's going to be a really wonderful place i'd like to live here up nope, I get shipped off to Silmaria and, uh, and I have to do this all over again. So nice. it was just, uh, you know, and as a kid who, who moved around a lot because my dad worked for oil companies, like that really resonated with me. Is like inherently tragic. <laughs>
0: uh, James, any, any final thoughts? Um, not really. That's
1: basically, you know, it's, like, again, the question you asked earlier, would, would this game be considered Lovecraftian? You know, like, and I think there's enough in it that is dark and plays with the whole idea of, like, you know, he's having these nightmares of what the world could become because of a Uzzel, you know, our Cthulhu stand-in. And, you know, you actually have a, a a scene when he, like, rips out of the mountainside and mm-hmm. and that's going to be the end you know like and it's a cool little animation and it's like holy shit this is this is serious this is what he's fighting against yeah how's he gonna do it and i think like any good any really good video game itself let alone a great adventure game has these elements where you know not only the exploring and finding these characters but you know all the sacrifices that are made have to be worth what the end result is and it's funny like playing this game it, it, it like with all the people that have died around you and you you quote unquote win it reminds me of any like episode of doctor who where oh the, the world saved but thousands of people have died or even if it's a, a smaller place like three people that you've befriended have died horribly ultimately word the sacrifice is worth it you hope so, and that's kind of like why it's just yeah you, know, you you want this hero to finally get a chance to relax a little bit, but no, it's like you said he, sh- goodbye next next game in a few years, and then yeah. you can you can continue that adventure. And you're like this poor dude, like this poor guy just can't get a break. Like he, whenever he has a love interest, it's either a Rasulka who wants to drown him or a vampire that wants to like you know bite him. You know, it's like this poor yeah. dude, like he can't do anything about it, but that's the thing you have to make all the right choices even as a thief you, you ultimately do make the right choices to you know fix the world and like try to do the best you can for these people you've just met you know like you've befriended you know the bergermeister as another character who doesn't like you right away but then throughout you meet the ghost of his great-great-grandfather and and like give him like the sword back and like that that his honor is was res- restored and like now he likes you Every time he sees you, it's like a pleasant conversation. Little things like that are just great. And like, you know, I'm going to continue. I'm actually going to go back to the old games and play those just to kind of like, (laughs) you know, relive those back then. Because like I said, this was the first game I played in the series. And then I kind of went back, got the old ones and... Was kind of like thrown up, thrown apart from. Oh, okay, these are text based. Even when they did the clicking, I was like, mm, "The text based part." Uh. I was never really into that, you know. I like, I have to type. Come on, oh, now you give me too much to do. <laughs> Every word, like it doesn't. Like I don't know what that is. You're like, oh, yeah. okay, yes, you do. <laughs> but I love this game, so I'm glad. I'm glad Tyler that you, you want to come on to talk about this because this, this is something I never would have thought to talk about. Because, like I said, we. We've we've been dealing with a lot of really crappy movies and then some gems throughout. So like luckily, but usually the crap is more, you know, all encompassing. But this is
0: also more readily available.
1: That's that's (laughs) the other problem. Yeah. So ultimately, I was glad to talk about something that brought back nostalgic memories and like, you know, hopefully some of our listeners have played this game or have some other, you know, other games that throw in a Lovecraftian slant that they want to talk about, too.
2: And, you know, if there's anybody who is able to uh, go back and play this game, uh, James and I have given you lots and lots of hints <laughs> yes. uh, and kind of spoiled the game. But it's not about necessarily the end. It's the it's the journey.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, I mean, having already been a fan of King's Quest six, I was eager to play this game now hearing you two talk about it i want to play it a lot more but like tyler i am confined to my prison of mac um yeah. and uh i'll just have to muddle through somehow but um <laughs> speaking of tyler tyler if uh if, if listeners uh, to the of the Casa cthulhu had never um heard your your uh, dulcet tones before where can uh, where can people find more of your stuff online
2: You can find me at BattleshipPretension.com, where I uh, co-host a a podcast about movies. You can find me at MoreThanOneLesson.com, where I host another podcast about movies, but this (laughs) one from a Christian perspective. And then I also do have a documentary out right now called uh, Real Redemption, The Rise of Christian Cinema, which is available at FaithLifeTV.com. And that is about the uh, contentious relationship between the church and Hollywood through the years, ultimately giving rise to uh, faith-based films in uh, the uh, early to mid-2000s, and then exploring like the impact that that has had on the industry. Um, it's essentially a, a video essay-style documentary, but uh, I'm fairly proud of it, given— my, the, my limitations, not merely of resources, but of talent. And so, uh, so yeah, you can check that out at uh, com.
0: We'll certainly be sure to, to link to all those things. And also relevant to this podcast and conversation, under the more than one lesson umbrella is a podcast called The Fear of God. And mm-hmm. one of their recent episodes was an interview with Matt Ruff, who is the writer of Lovecraft Country. Um, it was an episode I've just recently listened to. It's a really great really insightful interview so i would encourage people to to go check that out um james uh did your did your second podcast come back not yet not uh, yet I, I saw you tweet something about it. i thought maybe that was something we should plug no not yet
1: i'll i'll i'll, I'll let everyone know when but like i'm still trying to find a, a proper co-host cuz i i can't do podcasts by myself it's you know you need someone to bounce off ideas with
0: you know, um, As someone who has done a podcast by himself for the past five years, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> well, no, but you ultimately have guests and then after
1: yeah. the, the topic, you know, like mm-hmm. I'm talking about there's some people that just all they do is just talk about something. And, and after a while, it's just, okay, it's the same voice, you know, like when you go into the movies, it's a little different. I I, I, I think actually yours is probably the only one I listen to that is just a single person. <laughs> and it's not just because we're friends. So if, don't worry.
0: Well, if if my if my downloads are any indication, James, you are one of few that still listen. Um, uh, yeah, so we are uh, of course. Uh, you can find all of our um, episodes on castcathulu.podbean.com. We are uh, cast of Cthulhu on Facebook and cast Cthulhu on Twitter. Um, one thing I, I would like to plug that by the time this episode goes live, I will have been a guest on a uh, fan has launched a podcast about the upcoming lovecraft country hbo series yes. in which i um will i don't know what what tense i should use will be have been am i talking like this has already happened i've i've just ruined everything tyler you're right this is what i do time and space is all <laughs> yeah. <whole, laughs> yeah you know thrown out the door um it's a pandemic but no fan will have launched a podcast about lovecraft country which i will have been a guest on so i am currently, at this moment, extremely excited and horrendously nervous about that. So, um, but yeah. So, um, Tyler, thank you uh, so much for, for joining us um, on this Castle Cthulhu episode. Um, next time on Castle Cthulhu, we'll be talking with Tyler's Battleship Pretension co-host David Bax about Stuart Gordon's very last foray into Lovecraft, which is his episode of Masters of Horror Dreams in the Witch House, which... James and I were talking off mic. I loved that series, but I don't think I'd actually seen that specific episode. Because I missed about half of the first season. I watched all the second season, but not all, not most of the first season. So, we'll rat, see. All, all I'm to say is
1: rat face. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, yeah, I mean, I, should I be excited about... You know what? Whatever. We'll... we'll We'll let the Keep it, op- keep it keep an open mind That's yeah. all I'll say. We'll let the old ones aside But uh, yeah So that was uh, So next week we'll be talking Or I should say next time We'll be talking to David Bax About Dreams in the Witch House uh, But in the meantime We'll be waiting and dreaming With dead Cthulhu In his house In R'Elia